Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, people, if you have a podcast, a video cast, an audio book, hell, even if you need a studio built, Sweet Recording is the place for you. Joe Ganjemi, great guy, knows his stuff, he's honest, and he can help you out. So reach out to them. Check out their website at sweetrecording, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com, or email them at hello at sweetrecording.com. Anyway, we have a great show. This is our first all-male panel. I've, I've had all-female, and I'm excited because we're, we have some great professionals. Uh, our one, one of our guests is from uh, First National Bank of Elmer. We have Robert Bender. How you doing, Robert? Hey, good afternoon, Steve. Glad to be here. And Robert is also a fellow Stockton University alumni. Go Ospreys. <laughs> we also have from Cogent Connections, Chris Giddings. How you doing, Chris? Doing great. Glad to be here today. And from David Thompson Delivers. Well, we know what his name is, David Thompson. <laughs> Hey, Steve, doing uh, doing well. Looking forward to this. So, Robert, uh, tell us a little about what you do and, and the, tell us about the Bank of Elmer. Okay. Um, well, um, I'm with the Bank of Elmer. Uh, the bank's been around since 1903. We're a community bank um, servicing all of South Jersey. Uh, we pretty much uh, cover from Burlington County down to Cape May County. We have six offices in, in three of those counties. Uh, my specific role is I'm the chief lending officer for the bank. So I head up all of the all aspects of lending for the bank, uh, all of our loan officers, and and all lending activity, and I'm also part of the executive management team. So I help with uh, the, you know some of the direction of the bank. Um, you know, so we're uh, excited. You know, banking's uh, you know we're seeing some exciting times here with uh, the interest rate environment. So uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit further. But uh, glad to be here. Thanks, Steve. And how about you, Chris? Tell us about Cogent Connections. Uh, you bet. So we are a marketing firm that specializes in LinkedIn-based business development, um, design and branding, newsletters, and live events. Okay. And how about you, David? Tell us a little about David Thompson Delivers. Uh, I transform company talent development. There's so much influx of Generation Z and millennials into the workforce, and they aren't being trained properly. They aren't being onboarded properly. And therefore, companies continue to have these persistent issues of turnover and retention. I train them so they stay. Okay. So I want to ask you, and we're going to start with you, David. How did you get to your position where you are today? Because in this day and age, a lot of people change roles, change positions, and it's just, you know, that's life. And people after the pandemic said, we're bored. We want to do this. We don't want to live, you know, work 60 years, get a watch or whatever. How did you, how, how did you come about? What's your steps to being where you are now? I'm a recovering marketing executive. I focused on branding for so long, but after a point it became, am I, I'm tired of making money for other people. And, uh, I had, I was blessed to be able to, um, teach at Temple University as an adjunct, which I still do. And I was given an opportunity to start the country's first course on personal branding. And I really, really enjoy communicating, learning from, and guiding young people as they step into the workforce. And everybody comes in post-COVID with a lot of PTSD, uh, lack of relationship skills, uh, insecurity about their future. And I try and help them develop their brands so that they have the workplace success skills and the confidence in themselves to move ahead. And that's how I got to this point. I did the jump off from personal branding, the natural extension to helping companies train these people better and motivate them to stay and perform. 
How about you, Robert? Because you're in banking, and you know, I meet so many people who have like worked for different banks. I've I met people I started networking with five years ago. Now they're with they've worked for like three different banks. I know you've been with your bank for a while. How did you end up coming to the bank, and what made you decide to go into that, and why are you there now? Yeah, well, I think I think that's a true statement. You don't work for a, a gold watch anymore. Um, I actually got into banking uh, initially through a, a, one of my relatives, knew uh, an HR representative for a bank. Uh, it was actually First Fidelity at the time, back in the mid-90s. And uh, that's how I got introduced to banking, started in a management training program. And then um, I've, I've been fortunate to um, be able to learn and grow. I've worked with several different people that mentored me along the way. Um, you, you know, and in 2015, I joined uh, you know, our president and CEO, Brian Jones, here at the Bank of Elmer. And, um, you know, we've um, done some good things. We've had a little hiccup with COVID, but... Um, no, certainly, um, you, you, you see people uh, moving around a little bit more. I think that um, some people always think that the grass is greener on the other side, but you know, some, a lot of times it's not. So yeah, that's, that's my, my intro into banking, but I was fortunate to be able to learn and grow and, and, and really work with closely with some mentors, which enabled, uh, definitely opened up some doors for me. How about you, Chris? Because Chris, you know, we, we, I always forget that you're you're a young guy. I mean, it's not like you're you've been around for a while. And and me and Joe were talking earlier. Me and Joe and Jamie has like you're you have like an old soul. And I always think I don't think I mean you're in your young twenties, I believe. And uh, yeah, how about twenty? Yeah. So tell me how how you how you got into where you are now. I have a I have an interesting story. Uh, I'm a product of COVID. So before COVID, I had a, a regular nine to five job, and I lost my job like a few weeks after COVID hit um, in March of 2020, the classic time. Everyone remembers March of 2020, right? And uh, what happened to me is I had some professional relationships by product of, of being a professional. And I had two businesses that approached me when they found out I didn't have a job asking for help. And I agreed to help them. And in the process of, of helping them, I had to set up a business to be able to receive payment, just pure and simple. And these two businesses, I was very fortunate for one, because they saw that potential in me and two, because after we started working together, they started referring me. So I kind of almost looked over my shoulder one day and realized I had a company without ever having made the choice to start a business or, or the realization that of like what I was doing. And uh, that's kind of been, it, it's kind of a silly thing to say, oh, I started a company by accident, but it really is true. Um, I love my job as a marketer. I meet new people every day. I'm working on new challenges every day. I'm being introduced to new challenges every day and I'm learning new things every day. Um, additionally, when you're in marketing and you're just, you know, your challenge, your goal is grow this company, you know, help them reach their goals. Everything's on the table. If you can imagine something, as long as it's going to work for a person, you can pitch them on it. And as long as you can help them get to what they would need to do, you can sell that as a service. So I'm not limited to saying, oh, this is the thing that I do. This is the product I offer. I can help you or not, or you can take this product or not. It's really fun and said to go a bit deeper with each business and, and collaborate on trying to figure out how to solve problems that are open-ended and nebulous and um, to keep pushing yourself to grow as a person. So I feel very lucky. All right. Now I want to ask you guys, I like to say you guys, whenever there's a female founder, I say you guys, I feel but And I don't mean it like, oh, you guys, it's just a, a term you, you grow up with. Hey, you guys, um, what motivates you? What when you when it comes down to push comes to shove, you know some people are motivated by money, some people are motivated by happiness. If you don't think happiness comes, to you. but 
what motivates you? And we'll start with you, David. What motivates you? Like when you wake up, what motivates you to get your day started? Uh, meeting people and hearing great stories and helping them craft great stories about themselves. I, I just really enjoy, I really enjoy people. And uh, that's that's probably drove me a little bit into coaching as, as a marketing exec, as uh, Chris, just you're, you're constantly meeting people and helping them grow business. I love stories. I love people. I love to help them live the live a better life. How about you, Chris? What motivates you? I sometimes think about like historic, you know, even processes I've been through in my own life with following a journey or watching a documentary and seeing someone else's journey in their life. And I think all too often we spend a lot of our time thinking about an end goal in our journey, right? Something we want to achieve. And we think about how great we're going to feel when we achieve that thing. But it's become a trope now to realize that when you reach the end of a journey, oftentimes there's a lack of satisfaction that comes with the very narrow specific thing that you were searching for, that you were fighting for the whole time, right? That thing is great, but it's not as great as you imagined it would be. And it's not the point at the end of the day. So I've kind of taken that realization with me and recognized that the journey is the destination, right? It's important to have destinations because if you don't have a destination, you don't have a journey, right? And that journey, you know, that destination can be financial security. It can be certain achievements you set for yourself. But those achievements are simply a place to go because you need a place to go in order to travel. Um, but the journey itself is where a lot of that joy happens, right? So the times when you're challenged, sometimes when you have something that goes wrong in your life that brings you down, it colors those moments where you succeed too and makes them more precious. So there's almost this recognition of, you know, what is an adventure? What's the difference? Sometimes people talk about adventures and they're like, oh, you know, let's go on an adventure today. And what they really mean is let's go have fun. Adventure and fun are not the same thing, right? What separates out adventure from having a good time? Adventure has real risks of negative outcomes. Something can go wrong in an adventure. Something can go really wrong, right? Um, and there are stakes. And because there are stakes, because you push through real danger, real possibilities of things going sideways, it makes the success you have all the all the more awesome, right? So I kind of live by that philosophy of trying to live adventurously, trying to be willing to accept, you know, to, to put myself in situations where there can be negative outcomes, and also to be self-conscious of, of the importance to be present in the moment and enjoy whatever you're doing in that moment, because yeah. that's where your joy is going to end up coming from. Yeah. Hey, how about you, Robert? What motivates you? Um, I would have to say that uh, my motivation comes from being challenged, uh, very similar to what Chris had, had, had alluded to. Um, you know, being challenged and, and being able to, to figure things out and then the successes that come from, you know, uh, accomplishing and tackling that challenge. Um, you know, uh, banking, you know, we're faced with a, a lot of challenges, but, but, um, you know, to me also work-life balance is very important. Um, you know, making that time for family, making that time for friends, uh, having that time, you know, for yourself, um, is very important, but, but I would say, you know, and, and that has helped me through my career, um, of, you know, uh, taking a challenge, accepting a challenge and then, and overcoming, uh, all of the, the pieces to that challenge. So, so, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, what, what, what kind of gets me going. <laughs> okay. You know, as I said, we're, we're all different ages here and we're all different professions. And 
AI's been in, around a lot. Now, I, I have a lot of friends in Hollywood who are getting hurt by AI. I mean, it's if, if you don't follow it for actors, it, it's really screwing them over. It can sit there. It's it's a big thing for writers, as I always say, you know, AI is not going to write a Tony Soprano character. They're not going to write a Vic Mackey. It's it's for me, but I'm, I'm, from the, I'm from the entertainment view. You guys all do different things, so AI may be different for you. I want to know what your takes are on AI. And I want to start with you, Chris, because I know you're in with LinkedIn. And, and now, like, when I go on LinkedIn, it says, uh, would you yeah, like your post-AI? I'm like, excuse the language, fuck you. No, I'm going to write it myself. I don't want AI to write my stuff. But what's, what's, your, what's your take on AI? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Are you indifferent? What's your take? I'm, I'm academically fascinated by it. I'm not a coder, right? But I've been following the development of AI from a layperson's perspective for many years. Um, it's just been a personal passion for me to understand it. There's this wonderful blog called Wait But Why that does two really in-depth articles that explain AI. And they were written in 2015. And were really incredible in predicting a lot of what we're navigating right now, mm. which is especially impressive because AI is very hard to predict. I think so, there's there's a lack of realization of how AI works. So it's really hard to understand. And it's, there's a, the, a lack of understanding around how it progresses over time and, and how it's learning and how it's growing and what kinds of paths we might be going down. It's really popular right now, I think, for a lot of folks to jump out and say, here's how I predict AI is going to change our world. Um, there's very little reflection being done on how is AI actually helping people today or not helping them? Are these strategies that we're recommending actually working? There's also the sense of AI is so nebulous and there's so many totally reasonable possibilities for what could happen two years from now or five years from now from 10 years from now, that if you make any prediction with any level of confidence beyond conjecture, you are wrong inherently, even if you're right, because you don't actually have the justification to say that your path for how the world's going to transform is correct. There's not enough information for anyone to make a truly reasonable prediction. And so what people need to get comfortable with is something that we've never been pushed into before, which is this recognition of the uncertainty of possibility, right? To think of things in terms of possibilities rather than predictions, right? Once we begin thinking about how this is a reasonable possibility for what things can look like a year from now, and that's a reasonable possibility, and you maintain an open mindset towards possibilities, you become much better equipped to adjust to changes as they occur, right? So I think that's like a really important thing broadly that people need to begin thinking about and internalizing. As far as AI today, like specifically, how is it helping people today or how is it not helping? I think there is a fascination when ChatGPT came out of, wow, I didn't realize an AI could be so intelligent because AI is developing really like this um, really complex mode of thinking that we didn't really expect would be possible. Um, and not just as far as being able to speak with you, but be able to create art. Most people five years ago, if you were to ask them what would be the last thing that AI would take over, they would say the arts, right? And it's been, it's been the first thing. We've been totally bamboozled, societally speaking, um, by how AI has developed. And we couldn't have possibly predicted how things have, have come. As we've gotten a little bit further, it seems like right now, AI for imagery AI for design is taking off at an incredible pace. AI is becoming so effective at replacing designers or augmenting designers. Okay. 
I, that, 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 makes, that makes sense. I mean, it, it is true. Now, how about you, Robert? Because you're in the banking world. I mean, how is AI, yeah. do you worry about it affecting you at all? Because I mean, Chris is, you know, has the very good point about artistry, which we never thought. I, I saw images of like, you know, the Dalai Lama at a punk rock concert. I mean, just funny, funny stuff. I mean, very creative. But for you, Robert, what, what's it like in the banking world? Are you worried about it or does it hurt your business or how does it interweave with you? Yeah, so before I, I get into that, you're making this tough going after Chris because he's he, he really understands this. Um, no, in the banking world, um, so AI is something that I think is uh, continuing to evolve uh, as it relates to our business. You know, I'm fascinated with it because because I think it, it, it is certainly part of our future, our present and future. Um, but AI in our world, you know, when you're you're looking at um, marketing and uh, payment patterns and 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 the ability to to kind of know what people are going to do before they do it, and you're able to market to that um, is huge. Um, also, on our operation side, you know, we we have. Um, I was just at a conference last week down in down in Nashville for the American Bankers Association, and and one of the things I was doing is going from vendor to vendor, just kind of looking to see what the next solution is going to be. And um, one one of the solutions that's coming out is. You know, you take a, a tax return, you scan it in, and and AI reads everything and 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 basically does all the work. Um, so it pulls pulls everything out of the tax return from every schedule, from every line item, and 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 puts it into your model for for cash flows on the lending side. You know, you know. So so how this all evolves um, is 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 amazing, and 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 it's really prevalent more with the larger banks because they have infrastructure and they have uh, the the ability you know the, the 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 ability to to really invest in this a lot more than a smaller bank would, um, but it's always trickles down. So so we're we're paying real close attention to it. Um, you know, since we are a smaller bank, we do rely on third party um, solutions. Um, you know, a lot a lot of cloud web based solutions that we're using now. Um, but but that just last week I was having this conversation, and 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 these guys are you know really developing some fascinating uh products so uh, um i am interested in it fascinated by it and uh, really curious to see where it evolves to how about you david you know it's it's a crazy i i echo both of what these guys said it's a crazy development that's come on like gangbusters in the last year in the form of chat gpt and some of the other task-based technologies that you can do i've sat out for a while. I, I don't use really any AI or any of the, um, any of the, uh, 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 things that it enables, but I've been listening in particular. I follow, uh, Dr. David Sinclair, the Harvard medical scientist who's worked on, on longevity, healthy, uh, healthy aging and longevity. And he talks about how they use it in the science world in, uh, in the development of, uh, epigenetics, um, and, and researching things that can affect how we age. And they say they feed materials and studies into AI AI technologies and find out answers that it would might take, um, you know, three, five years to find out. So I'm intrigued by it. Uh, I am not going to adopt it right now into my world because I want to see, I want to see what happens. Uh, the implications are so, are so strong and so widespread for it that uh, good and bad. So I'm, I'm very intrigued. 
I want to watch, see what happens. I won't be an early adopter. Okay. Now, you know, we, we talk about changing times and, and mental health has come up a lot. And I come from a generation where mental health, if you have a shitty day at work or, or you're bummed, your friends would go, oh, you know, knock it off. You know, come, come out. We'll buy you a drink. You know, just walk it off. And, and, and it's changed now. I want to ask each of you, because I said we're at different ages and different paces of our lives. How do you deal with when you have a bad day? Like if I wake up and I feel crappy or if I have a bad day, my outlet is music. Okay, it used to be more I used to go have a few cocktails and I'm like, yeah, then you wake up feeling like shit. You feel that day you feel awful. So I, I, but I, my, it's music is my thing. But how do you deal with to keep yourself mentally healthy when you have a bad day? Because I think everybody deals with depression. And if you say you don't, you're lying because we've all gone through it. But Robert, how do you do it? Because you also, you're a family man. So it has to be different how you deal with depression or having a bad day coming up from work after a tough day. How do you deal with it? Yeah, I, I um, I'll, I'll give you two, two two prong approach here. So, so I generally do uh, fall back on music. Uh, if I wake up in a bad mood, I'll put on the right music. And uh, when I get to the office, you can tell what, what kind of music I was listening to most of the time because you know sometimes it has a little more energy than others. Um, and the same thing on the way home. But but I think also um, you know one of the things you know once in a while you 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 you're, you're linked with me on LinkedIn. I'll put out a quote that I kind of can relate to and. You know, it generally may have um, a bearing on what my mood is that day or, you know, so I I may, you know, look up a quote to kind of help myself through. But, you know, then I share it with others to help them as well. Um, so so I would say music, music first, but but I, I generally will look uh, to quotes and and, you know, sometimes I'll flip on a podcast just to kind of, you know, something inspirational and, and, and you know, uh, that, that can kind of get me through the day as well. And, and you know, take that. Um, uh, you know, that mood and, and, and change it around for the better. How about you, David? There's so many great tools out there for people who deal with a bad day or, or a depression. I listen to a lot of content. I'll throw on uh, either headphones to listen to music. I'll get out in nature and get away from technology and people. I'll even go to the gym if I want to uh, all the time listening to music or podcasts about positivity and things that can change our mindset. At the end of the day, though, the, what really gets me out of the bad uh, of a of a bad day is um, in summer. I go swimming. I go swimming. I float. I swim. The weightlessness and the ability almost to meditate and be in a submersion tank makes me feel great. And when I come out of a pool or I come out of the ocean, I have washed away any of the issues that I had before. How about you, Chris? That's great. Steve, I don't know how you keep asking questions on topics that are like my favorite topics of all the things you could get to talk about. Because my background as a student before I went to marketing was actually psychology. Oh, um, I used to work with kids with ADHD. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by human behavior and, and how we think and how we work. Um, for me personally, I, I've gotten into meditation. Um, essentially there are things in your mind and your body that you have voluntary control over and things you don't really have voluntary control over. Like blinking is a common one. When you don't think about blinking, it's involuntary, but the moment you do, it becomes voluntary. Um, so there are some things that you can actually gain voluntary control over that otherwise are involuntary, like blinking, for example. And your emotional state is something that you can actually train yourself to begin to control. When people think about the experience of pain, 
all the ways you respond to pain. Like, let's say you burn yourself. What do you do? You yell, you might bite your tongue, you might stamp the ground, you might try singing to yourself or turning away from the pain. All these natural reactions are about avoidance, right? Um, when you get into more advanced practice around managing pain, that can be emotional pain, it can be physical pain, it can be anything. Um, turning towards your pain and hugging it, essentially allowing it to, to dissolve rather than pushing it away, um, can be a really effective approach. Now, it's easier said than done, but with practice, um, it's kind of like a muscle. You can get better and better at managing that. Um, besides that, I like sleeping. If I'm really feeling horrible, take a nap. Good to go. <laughs> naps, naps are good. Naps are always good. So, yeah. you know, you're all good at what you do. We, that's a given. You wouldn't be on the show if you're some schlub. I'll be honest. I'm not bringing in people who don't don't fascinate me, and I'm, I respect them. You're all good at what you do, but what do you think you can do better when it comes to your job? What do you think, you know, what is something that you say, I have to strive to do this? And we'll start with you, Chris. What can you do that, what can you do better than what you're doing now? And how do you plan to get there? I, I usually, I like when you ask other people first, I'm writing down my thoughts as they're talking and that's how I'm coming up with interesting answers, right? But um, for me, time management's a major issue. I spend 10 to 12 hours a day in front of my desk and it's, it's, you know, there's a certain point in your workday where the more hours you spend, the less productive you become. And I'm still fighting how to get over that and how to get to a point where I'm in charge of my work rather than my work being in charge of me. Um, at all times, I feel this pressure because I owe somebody something, usually multiple people. So keeping track of the people I owe things to and staying on top of all of that um, it's not something I've gotten out from in the last three years. Every day I set myself a list of things I want to accomplish that day. And there hasn't been a single day in the last three years I've gotten through my list for that day, even though it's a list that I feel is possible to achieve in that day. And it's blown my mind and I'm still struggling with it. How about you? How about you, David? I, I agree wholeheartedly with what, with what Chris said, uh, time management. The second aspect is always learning. Um, I always want, I will only be as good as what I continue to learn. So when I am advising and working with people uh, on personal branding or on helping to shape a better culture, there are so many people out there with such outstanding uh, studies and work that they're doing that if I'm not learning about that and incorporating that into what I do, I feel like I'm not serving um, my clients as well as I could. And you, Robert? So um, for me, I think uh, self-reflection is very important. Um, I was working with one of my mentors recently, and and his recommendation was to uh, put together, you know, an executive leadership plan for yourself. And part of that was uh, a SWOT analysis, which I think is important. Um, but um, one of those components is, um, you know, my ability to delegate more. Um, you can't take it all yourself. You have to you have to have your, your team working with you. Um, you know, one of my, my big concepts is, is empathy. You know, when I first got into banking, uh, the first gentleman that I worked for, uh, really taught me about empathy and it stuck with me for the last 26, 27 years. Um, he had these little note cards and, and, and really it was probably something he got from a leadership class 
now this is probably back in the 90s, 80s, maybe even the 70s. Um, but it's stuck with me to this day. Um, you know, delegate, but also uh, put yourself in in, in your 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 subordinate shoes. Um, but but it all starts with self realization of of where are you, where 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 do you want to go, where can you go, and how do you get there? And um, you know, delegation is one of the big things that I I try to work on. And um, you know, but it's more than delegation. Uh, I'd mentioned empathy, but it's also preparing the people um, that you're delegating to 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 for their success as well. Now, I, I've met all you through networking. I know, Chris, you throw you throw some good networking events, and we were just talking about the bankroll, which also that place just closed. That's what happens when you run a shitty company and you throw Steve, when Steven Starr walks away, because you go, okay, well, you know, you're in Philadelphia. Steven Starr will bring in people. But we're not going to talk about bankroll. Uh, but let's, oh. no. Uh, no, I got to ask you, networking. We all network. Networking is very important. Okay. And we all run into people and we can say there's people we like you know the people that we like are the people that connect and help each other and are good what are some examples of people you don't like like i don't like and i'm gonna go to this later when we get into linkedin but i don't i don't like people who are just full of shit. and i think because i did comedy for so long comics we have a certain a certain power that we can read when someone is just full of crap i can hear someone from a distance from the room and i go this person they're just they're swarmy or they're whatever. But who are some people that you not don't don't mention names? We don't look <laughs> but uh, and I, I can mention some names, but I won't. But uh, who are some people that the type of person that you don't like to network that that bother you? And we'll start with you, David. Who are some people that the kinds of people that just you go, oh man, just get away from me? We talk about this in class all the time, and we we. I put up uh, studies on here are the characteristics of people with strong personal brands. Here are the characteristics of people with weak personal brands. So the the first example is people who are takers, uh, people who only are into themselves. You've met them many times. You say, how are you doing? And 10 minutes later, they're still talking about their lives. They're still talking about themselves and they haven't turned around and say, how are you doing? Or what's happening in your world? And the second aspect is when they're addicted to their phones, their phones buzzing off. You're in a networking opportunity and <clears throat> whether it's online or in person and their phone is buzzing and they have to look at it. They cannot give their full attention to the person in front of them and build a relationship. So the people that I really, that really annoy me are ones that do not have uh, empathy, Robert, that do not listen and that are more preoccupied with who they are than getting to know you as a person. How about you, Robert? Um, well, I'm, I'm a banker, so so everything we do is about relationships. Um, so I tell my people all the time, uh, when you're going to a networking event, you're going there to form relationships. Um, so, so for me, the people that are there just to get business, um, you don't go to those events just to get business. You, know, you go there to form relationships and then, Business to me is the byproduct after the fact. You know, once you uh, establish yourself with somebody, um, and uh, David had mentioned giving and taking. You know, I always go to networking events or opportunities with the intent that I want to give before I get. Um, I, I think that's important. So, so if I have a meeting with somebody, and generally what I'll do is if I go to a networking event, 
I'll meet the people that I, I want. I, I think that, you know, I, I will work with and, and then I'll send them a follow-up and I'll schedule a one-on-one -on -one with them. And, and, and the one-on-one -on -one is where you're going to really establish a rapport with somebody. And, and, and when I do that one-on-one, -on -one, I always have in the back of my mind, well, how can I help this person? So I want to help them first before that I expect them to, you know, even consider helping me, uh, you know, so I, I always want to be the first person offering. Um, so, so it is a give and take, um, but you want to be uh, the, the, the giver, not the taker uh, initially. So, so for me um, going to those events, uh, you know, and we're a bank, we go to a lot of like chamber of commerce type events and, and it's a, and, and it's great networking, but it should be about, forming relationships with folks. Um, and, 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 and then if it evolves into business, it does, but, um, you know, so for me, it's the, the, you know, if people are there just, you know, looking for a quick sale, that, 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 that's not me. Um, you know, I'm more about the, the long-term relationship. How about you, Chris? Because, you know, your events are huge and there's going to be some people you just don't like. <laughs> it's as easy as that. You know, it's like anything, we can't like everybody, but what are some types of people that you don't like when you're networking? You bet. Um, one thing I, I found really funny networking is sometimes I work with people and they're like, oh, you know, like I want to connect with somebody or I mentioned someone who who I think they might want to know. And they're like, I don't like that person. Right. And it's gotten to a point where I found a circle of this person doesn't like that person, doesn't like that person, doesn't like that person. And a big circle all the way around, like very indirect circle. I'm like, this is kind of comical because ultimately Every single reason that each person didn't like the other person was totally valid. And yet I still liked each of those people. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> you know, like I understand that this person has a quirk or this person has a thing you need to navigate when building a relationship with them, but there's still value there. Um, that being said, there have been maybe three times in my professional career where I've had really negative experiences with a person um, so far at this job. All three of those times I was dealing with powerful alpha people who um, kind of just scared me. You know, they were just, they're looking for, for a fighter to put somebody down. Um, and I'm a bit of a passive, almost, I present as a very innocent person. And uh, I was intimidated and also vulnerable. And so I've, I've been, I was hurt by those few experiences where I was just kind of being chill and friendly and not realizing where the other person's headspace was when they went in, you know? Um, when it comes to events specifically, I am trying to make sure that everyone at my event is having a good time, right? Whether it's a virtual event or an in-person event. And that means that folks who are likely to make other people not have a good time, folks who are likely to, to crush with each other, those are folks I need to be careful about including. Um, so there, there's definitely a component there of, hey, if you know, I know this person has a situation, like half people they meet like them, the other half don't. I should be careful about where I include them or how they're supervised to ensure that I don't create negative experiences for more people, right? Because um, things have multiplicative effects. Okay. Now, it's funny, uh, Robert, you mentioned something uh, about the one-on-one. -on -one. And last week, I went on a little tangent about uh, etiquette. And I want to talk about one-on-one -on -one because um, when people approach you to, to meet you, now, I've, I've said this many times, I'm, I'm a performer, so I'm, I'm insecure and I'm narcissistic. That's just the way we are. You know, we, we're, we, they are. but I had someone reach out to me and this is a, at the end of, uh, at the end of September and they said, oh, I'd love to meet you for like coffee or lunch. Are you free mid-November? And I responded, no. I said, I don't schedule two weeks beyond. I, I, Cause I think if you're that busy, 
you know, if you can't meet me, but what is your time frame? Like, what do you think is an allowable time? If I was to reach out to you, David, and say, hey, David, I really like to meet you for a one-on-one. -on -one. And I said, I'll meet you in 2024. You'd be like, get out of here. But what, what is, what do you think is a, uh, a respectable and yet understandable time that when you set an issue with someone that you can say this far, I want to hear each of your answers. We'll start with you, David. Um, no more than three weeks. Okay. No more. And understanding that people get busy, uh, people are on vacation, and we just have conflicting schedules. But if you cannot squeeze in 30 minutes for either in person or 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 a valued Zoom, then I, I fully agree with you. Then you then why are you even reaching out to me? How about you, Chris? People are stubborn, and they all have their own ways of living. And one thing I kind of realize is the reason why people are the way they are is because whatever system they have it works for them right and who am i to kind of step in and be like oh well this is my system then your my system is incompatible so when people are really stubborn everyone's really stubborn something's got to give and i usually find that's me and because i'm a marketing vendor it's kind of my job to fill the gaps right so i've kind of become a very flexible person i think the only time where i've had an issue is when someone else demands inflexibility from me because I'm so flexible. They're like, you need to have everything planned perfectly where things need to be structured in a really tight and pr provided way. I, I'm not really in a position to deliver the kind of structure to others that they want if they are a very type A person. Okay. Um, so I'm late sometimes for things. <laughs> and how about, how about... I'm consistent as others and I just have to deal with that because I'm, I'm always just trying to survive. Okay. How about how about you, Robert? I'm I'm a generally a, a, a two to three week type person um, because you know, kind of adding to what David had said, if somebody can't meet with you within two to three weeks, are they really that busy, or they do, do they really want to meet with you? You know, that that's the real question. Um, you know, everybody's got spare time. I you know, I meet people at seven in the morning, seven at night. You know, so. You, you can't tell me anybody's too busy to schedule something within a two to three week period. Um, it doesn't have that much a time for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever, whatever the case may be. So, so I, I, I generally will question, you know, are they really that busy or do they really want to meet with me if, if it, it gets outside of that time frame? Okay, good. Now I don't feel like a dick that I said, ah, two weeks. So thank you. You guys made me, that question was for me. Um, <laughs> Okay, now I want to talk about LinkedIn, and it's going to be funny because, Chris, you deal with LinkedIn, and, and I like LinkedIn. Oh, I, I do. I truly like LinkedIn, but there are certain things that irritate me about LinkedIn, and I talk about it every week. And um, one thing that irritates me is the people that are just phonies on LinkedIn. Like they're sitting there and they're acting like they're very successful when you know they aren't. And the thing is, when someone isn't successful, if they ask for help, people are what I've learned is, especially in the South Jersey area and the Philly area, people were very happy to help you. People were very say, okay, we'll talk to this person. But some people, they're so full of shit and they paint this picture on LinkedIn and maybe called faking it till they make it. But that's one thing that you sit there. I had someone saying they had a microphone when I was in one and they said, someone said, why is that microphone? And they said, oh, well, I did a, 
I'm doing three podcasts today. I did 10 podcasts. What podcasts are you doing? Like, you know, why would you tell people that? Like, you're faking it. But what is something, and we're going to get to you last, Chris, because you're you're the LinkedIn guy, and I don't want you to shit where you eat. But uh, what is something that just bothers you with LinkedIn? And we'll start with you, Robert. Well, I would say um, first that LinkedIn is a huge tool. I, th I, th I think when used uh, properly, it's a great way to connect with folks. Um you uh, a great way to, to share information um you know for me uh i only post things on linkedin that i one believe in relate to um and, and you see a lot of people like, like linkedin kind of goes up and down like some people will be putting a lot of personal things on there um you know there's other other social media outlets for that but but i think it's the same on no matter what outlet you're talking about um you know, for me, I'm, I'm a pretty transparent type person. Um, I, you kind of get what you see. Um, so, so, uh, for, for me, I'm very, you know, I used LinkedIn, I think for what it's, what it's used for, I do connect with, with, with folks, um, for opportunities on there. Um, you know, I, I don't over post things that, that I don't believe in or, or that don't belong on there. So, so for me, it's, it's just, um, you know, keeping it, um, you know, business related and relevant well what robert i mean robert david what what bothers you about linkedin the facebookization of linkedin i like when people share some things that are related to who they are at their core their values you know there's some travel or some interpretation of of an experience that they have that they want to share about themselves but I don't want to see somebody take a video, turn around and cry on camera and share their their sob story so they can get all these people commenting and saying, no, you're great. Fantastic. Just reach out to me. I'm going to help you. So I think there's too much oversharing on LinkedIn that they should keep on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok and, and leave it to be more of a professional uh, professional organization or professional social outlet. How about you, Chris? Steve, I really am just so blown away that you're, you're all my favorite topics are on this, this <laughs> podcast, my favorite podcast. Now um, I'm going to call it LinkedIn, the company, LinkedIn, the company calling you out today. So many things I'm frustrated with the company over. Um, I think their reps are not very intelligent. I spent a lot of time with a few of them earlier this week, trying to, um, learn more about the more advanced enterprise versions of Sales Navigator because there's multiple tiers. Hmm. Um, just as an example of LinkedIn's kind of silliness, they have Sales Navigator Core, which is the base version, Sales Navigator Advanced, which is a feature version with some extra features around CRM integration. Then they have LinkedIn um, Sales Navigator Enterprise Advanced and Sales Navigator Enterprise Advanced Plus. What are you doing, LinkedIn? That's a crazy terminology. You have two different Sales Navigator Advanced that have no naming difference. that are totally different solutions, right? Just as one example of how they're doing things that really don't add up. They have multiple bugs that have persisted for years that are still present on the platform that we probably don't have time to get into that I would love to call LinkedIn for. Um, LinkedIn had so much potential to serve as its own integrated CRM where you manage your contacts and your relationship and your follow-ups within Sales Navigator. LinkedIn could have charged more money to their users to and, and, and added a, a whole bunch more functionality, and they've never bothered to do so. 
And over the years, the, the systems hardly changed at all. And they're owned by Microsoft and they have all this money, they have all these employees and they're doing nothing. You know, Twitter for the last like eight years before Elon bought it, didn't change. There were no new features or tools being implemented whatsoever. And the company wasn't making money. They were losing money every single quarter. Elon takes over, there's all kinds of controversy around it, but there's no denying that there are new features being added all the time. What was with the old Twitter culture preventing them from getting anything done? Whatever that culture was in old Twitter that persists in LinkedIn today, and if LinkedIn doesn't get it act together, someone's going to eat their lunch. So they, they need to shape up. Okay. Now, here a quick question. This is yes or no answer. Politics and religion on LinkedIn. Robert? No. Chris? Maybe. Okay. David? Uh, in, in On occasions. Okay. Now, here's a question I started asking a few weeks ago because I don't read business books. I never have but a lot of people do. And I've gotten some really good book suggestions here and uh, haven't bought any of them, haven't read any of them because they just, they just don't interest me. I lose my thought. And I know I can listen to them on Audible, but I don't. But what's a book uh, that you've read recently or have read in the past that has that you've really taken to heart? Like, you know, some people have, you know, they said, I read this book and oh my God, I hate when people go, oh, it changed my life. Well, no, no book's going to change your life. A heart surgeon can change your life. A book can, a book can help you around the, the, down the path. But what's a book that has really meant a lot to you? Either you're reading it now or in the past. And we'll start with you, Robert. Um, a book that I read, read recently, uh, it's called Radical Candor. And it's, it's about how you deal with your employees in a caring and direct way, um, but challenge them at the same time. Uh, so, so that's one that, that um, you know, I have a, a number of employees and, and, and it enables you to, you know, don't sugarcoat things, don't be transparent, um, you know, don't, don't add too much fluff. Um, just, you know, react in a way that's caring to your employees Again, goes back to empathy. Um, be direct. Don't don't sugarcoat it. And but at the same time, you have to challenge employees. So 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 this it's called radical candor. It was it was uh, uh, one of my. I don't read a lot of books, but but it was one that I read recently that was was pretty good to me. How about you, Chris? Well, I always have this one book in arm's reach: "The Two Hour Cocktail Party" by Nick Gray. Um, and I recommend this to people all the time. Everyone has their one book, right? So that's my my one book. I like it because I know the illustrator of the book. She did some really wonderful, cute illustrations. And it's a short read. It's like an hour, hour and a half. And it's just a very simple breakdown of how to be a good host of a social mixer. And it's what inspired what I'm doing, you know, with all these events. Um, two of my favorite things about the book are that it does a great job disarming people when you're like, oh, I don't want to host because it's expensive, because they don't have a place to host, because people may not show up, because people may not have a good time, right? It dismantles every one of those arguments to a point where you're almost forced to say, well, if that's the reason you weren't hosting, you need to now because this argument's been fully dismantled. The second thing I love about it is the author of the book, Nick Gray, comes at hosting, come, comes at hosting these social mixers with a perspective that's really weird and unusual. And most advice you're gonna get online is similar to itself because he comes out of left field and I don't always agree with all of his ideas. It really pushes your thinking outside of the box, which is helpful as far as helping you grow as a, an organizer. So no matter who you are, even if you're an experienced organizer, this book's gonna add value to you. 
And I'll say, I went to an event at Chris's house, and he had very good soda and good pizza. And I think there was cupcakes. And I, I'll tell you, and I ate more pizza than I should have, but it was really good pizza. How about how about you, David? What's you seem like a really uh, really person who reads a lot. I, I I used to uh, read a lot of books, uh, uh, but now I find I, my content usually comes now from YouTube videos and, and a lot of podcasts. So I haven't read as much as I, I'd like to, and I wish I could run downstairs and grab two books. But uh, one is called uh, Blendification, and it is a business strategy book. And I, I really cannot give you any any more than that other than to say I'm about a third of the way through but it's already rethinking business strategies for me and how I approach uh, doing what I do as well as uh, for a, a marketing client that I still have. So it's called Blendification. I cannot remember the author. I'm sorry, but that's that's the book I'm currently absorbed in. Okay. Now, now I, have, I have one final question, and I always ask this because I think it's important. Someone you know, graduates high school, graduates college, graduates trade school, whatever they're, whatever they're doing. And as my mom would say, they're, they're bright eyed and bushy tailed and they're going out and they want to make ways into the world. They want to sit there and get their shit together and get things started. And they come to you for advice. And they say to you, you know, what, do you have any secrets or anything that I should do to help me? And I want to start with you, Robert, because you have four children. So for you, I'm sure they come to you and say, dad, you know, do you have any advice about what I should do? Cause you're, they're your kids. But what is something that you would tell someone who's not your kids that came up to you and said, Hey, give me some advice, how I can get on the right track and how I can really start building myself in a professional world. What would you say, Robert? Yeah. So, so I think, um, I think for me, it would be, you're going to have to work hard and it's going to take time. You're not, you know, and, and I, we do some, we have some internships here and um, I, I do some mentorship opportunities with, with younger, younger people to, to try to help them. And uh, you know, I always, I always say nobody goes to college and says they want to be a community banker. Um, but then when I sit with them and explain what what it actually entails they're like wow that's a that's a and i explained the career path they actually like wow that, that's really interesting because there's so many different directions you can go uh and it is a huge opportunity and 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 you know it, it, it it's been great to me so um but i think that um you know and this is um i guess kind of a generational type question but um you know for me it's you're gonna have to work hard it's going to take some time. Uh, you're not going to come out of school and, 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 you know, um, be making, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, you, you know, you, 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 for me, I guess I'm a little old school and traditional in that you, you have to pay your dues a little bit. And, and, and as you're doing that, you're learning, um, you know, and experience, you can't teach experience. It just comes with time. You have to teach it, obviously, but but it comes in time, uh, you know, especially like in, in, in my world, in the lending world, um, you can have the best credit classes to teach you credit as you want, but you have to be out meeting with all these different business owners because they all give you something different and, and every deal is different. It's structured differently. It's priced differently. Every business is different. Industries are different. Um, everybody's needs are different. You have some some 
clients that are very good credit, some are bad credit, you know, some go bad. Um, so, so for me, it's, it's time is a huge factor and, um, and, and you just got to put the time in. How about you, Chris? So I tell, I actually talk to a lot of other young professionals whenever I meet, you know, most of the folks I work with professionally are my parents' age and most of their kids are my age. And they're like, Oh, talk to my child and about being a professional or being an entrepreneur or getting a job or anything. I tell every young professional I meet, they have a secret superpower, which is that because they're a student or a young professional, they can reach out to almost anybody requesting advice and assistance, but really just advice and perspective on whatever industry they want to get into or anything they want to learn. And that person is going to take a half hour out of their day to help them. So long as they come to that call prepared with questions and their research done, um, and you, that's not to say if you ask one person, like, Hey, can you take 30 minutes with me to answer some questions? They may say no, but if you ask a hundred people, you're going to have 10 for sure that say yes. And there's a great self-selection bias where the folks who agree to spend time with you are the kind of folks who are going to have great conversations with, who you're going to get a lot from. And when you meet these folks, not only are you going to get great advice, but you're going to gain new advocates who are well-connected in their fields. And if you do this a few times with a few key people, you're going to be well-connected enough that you're going to just get a job through through the back channels, just done, right? Um, every young professional has access to this, and they do not know it, and nobody is telling them that they have, again, the secret superpower that doesn't last forever. I'm exiting that secret superpower now, right? In the next year or two, I won't be able to get away with that kind of thing anymore. Um, but you, you've got to totally lean in, reach out to professionals. LinkedIn's a great way to do it. And, and essentially request their time and help because people want to help you. And you have to remember that you're almost doing these folks a favor too, because there is nothing more fulfilling than a professional in the middle of their career, being able to help the next generation of leaders. And they all really want to do that. So give them an opportunity to be a part of that with you and to be part of your journey with you because it's a lot of fun for them. Don't deny them the fun that they're going to have spending time with you. That's awesome. And how about you, David? What do you, cause you, you talk to all these people. Create a memorable experience. What is the experience of you? What is the experience of you, Steve, Robert, Chris? I could write down my perceptions of you guys, and they're all strong. But so many people enter the work world, and they don't know who they want to be. They're faking it in college. They don't know who they're growing up. So what are the perceptions? Start with a process. What are the perceptions that you want to be known for by others? What is the behavior and what are and, and what is the behaviors that you have to adopt so people see you like you want to be seen? So it's an it's a process discovering your brand, your values, your unique strengths, and creating an experience of you that is memorable on all fronts. That's how you're going. You know, Chris just said it perfectly. When you go and and network in the professional world people will recognize you as being genuine and interesting and caring and driven, and they will go to the end of the world to help you. But if you don't take the time to understand who you are, the perceptions that you want to create and the experience of you that is for, that is memorable, not forgettable, then you're stacking, you know, you're stacking the odds against yourself. So it's about creating a memorable experience. That was awesome. I want to thank you guys for uh, coming on the show today. Um, how can people get in touch with you, reach out to you? Uh, Robert, how can people get in touch with you? 
Um, rbender at elmerbank.com is uh, my email address uh, or 856-358-7000. Chris. Uh, Christopher Giddings um, at Cogent Connections on LinkedIn. That's the best way. Connect with me on there. And David. David Thompson delivers.com. You can contact me through that or through LinkedIn um, uh, by my name, although there's a few David Thompsons out there. So people reach out to them. Uh, you can email me at the tank at yahoo.com. If you want to be a sponsor for the show, hit me up. You know, the people who come on the show are uh, very top professionals and the people who watch the show are professionals who are very successful too. They enjoy the content. So if you want to get your brand out there, hit me up at the tank at yahoo.com. Go to YouTube. The Coop Tank. Look it up. Watch past episodes. Rate them. And I also want to thank Joe Ganjami from Sweet Recording. Reach out to Joe. He knows what's going on. He'll hook you up. If you have a podcast, you want to come to the studio. It's really fun. So you've been listening to The Coop Tank. I'm Steve Cooper. I'll talk to you next week. And have a great weekend. Go Phillies.